if you have a service drive and you're in front of the customer at the vehicle, you know, why not when the hood is up, let's do a quick check on the battery in front of the customer and top off the washer fluid because we're coming into a time of year now, you know, when there are weather extremes, all right? Yeah. So washer fluid is always, so these are little things that we would normally do when the car gets into the technician portion of the yes. sale, but do some of these things in front of the customer. It's a nice step and it gets the customer's attention. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strategy with Jason podcast, your mobile podcast for all things automotive strategy. Today, Jason is hanging out in Niagara, Ontario with Ted Ings. They'll be jamming about leadership and development in the dealership and what that may mean to you and your team. Get ready for some fresh ideas and new strategies with your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Ted Ings, the myth, the man, the legend himself. Ted, thank you so much for hey, taking the time. Jason, thanks for having me. with me. Yeah, finally, I'm, it's been in the works for a long time, right? I know, I know, I know. So it was, it was, it was very serendipity for us to be able to meet at this exact moment. You have some pretty cool stuff going on in your life, and I just happened to be at the same place and at the same time, and it worked out. Right? And all the forces came together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm a big fan. I admire all your stuff that you're doing Thanks, on the Dad. digital marketplace. So I really uh, appreciate that. Coming from comes, you, that means it, a lot. It comes across well, I, I would think, to everybody out in the retail land. So you get everybody's attention. Thanks, thanks. Now, uh, Ted, before we get started, for the people out there that are currently listening and also be watching this, if you can kind of just give me kind of that, 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 that origin story that is Mr. Ted Ings. Uh, just so it gives a little context you know, up to the conversation yeah. we're gonna have today. Sure, I'm a retail car guy, Jason. Mm -hmm. I got in the car business a long time ago, back in September of 1981, <laughs> selling Fords. And that was my first real experience at selling anything. Um, and it was a tough time because all the guys on the floor, and they were all men, they were all older people, okay? Mm -hmm. And they, uh, you know, smoked cigarettes and drank coffee and, you know, <laughs> sat around. And here I was the young kid, and there was nobody even near my age of 19 doing something like that. Well, so, 19, yeah, that would have been real young for that time frame, yeah. Yeah, so I went my first two weeks and I did not sell a thing. <laughs> and then I went on a tear and I sold a car a day, every day for the next three weeks. Awesome. And the rest was history. That's very cool. So, so now you started off in the car business. Now you've been in the business for a while. You've done a lot of really neat things. And yeah, at some point in time, you switched over from being that side of the business to being more on the vendor side, helping dealerships out. When did that happen? I worked in retail for 10 years. Okay. Um, I sold, uh, in fact, uh, I ended up managing a uh, Ford and uh, Mazda store mm -hmm. in New Jersey, in Hackensack. Uh, and Hackensack, in Jersey, 1991, nice. which would be about 10 years to the point, yeah. uh, I decided I was either going to start a dealer or was going to start a trading company. And so I decided to go into the training <laughs> business. Okay. And uh, I was really big with uh, Ford. Uh, at the time, Ford had a, a program called the, uh, the Plan. 24-month lease, the red carpet lease. Yep. I was number one Ford division dealer in the nation. I had been the plan manager, and I got us to 100 24-month leases every month. So w there was nobody even near us. 100 leases a month. And 24 we months. 24 months. And what were the lease rates back then, just so everybody has some idea? <laughs> uh, 12, 14%. It was in that ballpark. Yeah. I love that. So, so guys, you know, when I hear complaining that you've lost your 1.99 and you're at 3.99, shut up. <laughs> and we didn't have any residual support either. And yeah. this was before Ford really got into supporting it. And it was a lot of the stuff that we did in the early days that made Ford realize, hey, Ford Credit said this is our most profitable product that we sell, the red carpet lease. 90, so that actually would have been about the time Ford, because Ford was the first company to launch the first single digit interest rate. Mm -hmm. A 9.99. Was that was that about that same time frame? Yeah, it was a, it was maybe even a little bit later. It was a 9.99 finance. I remember when that happened. It was like the biggest deal ever. 
it was like, holy cow, mm -hmm. hold on, we mm -hmm. don't have a double digit interest rate, mm -hmm. it's a single digit interest rate. Brought a lot of people in. It brought a lot of people in. Um, well, hey, you know, one of the topics I wanted to kind of jam with you today, and I, I know we talk a lot about sales, and that's what we are, we're both salespeople at heart, right? Um, but you know, the, the one part of the dealership that usually brings in more than 50% of the profitability, yet gets less than 5% of any of the marketing or training or coaching budget, good old fashioned service and parts department. It is just, it's like the, it's like the stepchild of the family. It just kind of gets ignored, you know? It's, but it's the one that constantly brings profitability to the dealership. I think there's a lot of things that are changing in that side and how the approach and the experience is. What do you see that's kind of changing right now in our industry as far as parts of service goes? There's a lot of recognition, okay, that that's what's holding the dealership together. All right? Finally. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, it's taken a long time to get here. Yeah. But really, Jason, in service and in parts, there's a sales process. And a lot yep. of people fail to realize that. A lot of general managers in the business came up through the sales side. So they know that side very well. Mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to fixed ops, service, and parts, we let somebody else take care of that who's a specialist. When really, all the things we know about in sales, uh, the fact that it starts with a good appointment, appointments mm -hmm. lead to more business. Uh, everybody who comes into service as a buyer, they're not just lookers, they're here to get something done today. And no matter who pays for it, the customer, whether it's warranty, it's gonna be extended service agreement. There's a buyer on every time a customer pulls into the service drive. You also got a fact that, think of this just for a second. If your dealership on a Saturday in the sales department, if you had 50 appointments coming in, mm -hmm. if you knew everybody who was coming, what time they're coming, what they're driving, uh, what they owe on the trade, how many miles are on the trade, if you knew all this in advance, could you as a sales manager, put more sales together on that Saturday. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. You can actually cater an experience. It's, it's, it's knowing your audience before they come in. The service department has all that because we know who's coming. We know the mileage on the car, the last visit. Yep. We know everything about the vehicle. So you know what? Part of the sales process and service is being prepared. So when the customer comes in, I've got your service history. Mr. Harris, good news. There's no open recall campaigns on your vehicle. Mm -hmm. All right. And I want to go over, because the mileage and age determine the opportunity for the dealership. Yeah. And the fact that the customer experiences the same process each and every time develops that consistency, the same way we want in sales, we need that in service as well. So there's needs analysis, there's presentation, there's a walk around, there mm -hmm. should be a walk around, and guess who it should include? The customer. Yep. A lot of times in service, you know, we go through the motions and we forget the fact that the car is the best sales tool we have, just like in sales. So yeah. the um, back and forth between sales and service, the nuances are, are really interesting to watch. And it, I'm, I'm glad to hear that things have kind of changed. I mean, you, you've had the opportunity to be in hundreds, if not thousands of dealerships across the nation. And I've been in a lot of dealerships as well. And, and you know, you've been in those manager meetings, right? You got the mm -hmm. new car manager over here, mm -hmm. use parts, service. And if you weren't there, they'd probably be in a full out fist fight with each other, <laughs> right? Used car manager thinks the service manager is a prick because he gouges them, right? The service manager thinks the used car manager is a cheap bastard, mm -hmm. right? The new car manager hates the parts manager because the parts manager will sell over retail to the new car department, but it'll be sell cheaper to a counter customer. And the new, like it's just, but it seems like we're getting to a point in time in the industry where we can't play stupid ass games like that anymore. Mm. They're you know? defending their own turf. Yeah. That's what they're doing now. It's like we gotta start working collectively as a team, right? Um, not just for our own profitability, but also for generating that customer experience. You know, and that's who I think at the end of the day is that that bickering, that internal bickering that happens 
it, it hurts us, but I think it actually hurts the customer more. You know what I've seen dealerships do when the dealer or the general manager is aware that what you're talking about is going on? Mm -hmm. I've seen them actually take uh, a service manager and have them spend a week in the sales department. Same thing with oh, parts. Like and that. I've seen cross-training where the sales manager <laughs> now spends a week in service and gets to walk in those shoes as well. That's cool. Because unless you have actually done that job and that role and had to deal with all those tasks, you don't appreciate what's going on. So I think a smart dealer, uh, a smart person at the top would say, you know what, I want my people, I want my departments working together for what you just said mm -hmm. for the customer, because that's yeah. who's going to benefit or get hurt, you know, if it's the alternative. Yeah. And it ultimately, it all, overall, it helps the entire user experience, right? You know, there's, there's, we have the, the full dealer experience, which includes everything, all the way from the, the first touch point of being online to all the way to the, the four, five, six, seven years of servicing the vehicle. There's a lot that we have to kind of keep that whole umbrella is that experience. And I think when it's done right, it really does come out to the customer. It's kind of like the, the dealership I service with, right? Uh, they have a great drive-through. Um, I pull in, I can already see the person I'm pulling in is typing in my, typing in my plate, my plate number. Okay. All right. So literally by the time I even open the door, mm -hmm. it's already like, welcome back, Mr. Harris. I see today that we're doing the oil change. Um, did you want us to rotate the tires as well? You know, did you want us to do this and this and this? It's like, it's just, we were kind of talking about this. Actually, I was talking with this in Austin the other day, kind of off, off camera as well. It's little things. Right? Oh, it's all the little things. All the yeah. little things are huge things, things you're just talking about. You know, the fact that when you pull into the, into the dealership, the service advisor needs to greet you like you just said, mm -hmm. acknowledge the primary concern why you're here, because that's why, you're, that's why you called ahead, took time out of your job or whatever to come into the dealership. And they also need to do a couple more things. Mm -hmm. They need to um, acknowledge that uh, they're going to do a primary, a, um, a uh, multi-point inspection on your vehicle today with mm -hmm. your permission so the factory trained technician can look the whole vehicle over. I want to give you also a copy of our service menu. Why? Because I want to get permission from you to step inside the car. Mr. Harris, when I'm in your car, I see that you've got uh, 50,000 kilometers on the vehicle, okay, mm -hmm. or whatever the mileage may be. Because when I say that mileage, you automatically look at the menu to see what's due at that particular service. So wait, I do need a, uh, uh, a 50K service, or I do need to have the tires rotated as well. Mm -hmm. And I want to check for valuables, and I want to get permission to put the lights on in front of you. I want to get permission to lift the hood, start the car, and turn the wheel to the right, so together we can do what? Take three and a half mm -hmm. minutes at the car and look at the tires, because one out of every six vehicles, Jason, in service, has a screw or a nail in a tire. One out of six cars. That's a pretty high number. It does surprise me, though, you know, mm -hmm. and, and all of these little things. I was, I was having a conversation the other day, right, with the dealership, and it seemed like this particular dealership was just trying to find the one that one thing, you know, that, 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 one, that one magic pill, you mm -hmm. know, that was going to increase their CP count or increase their hours per work order. And I just kind of got a little frustrated because I'm like, it's not one thing, right? It's little things. It's, it's taking that extra 35 seconds, and like you said, turning, turning the steering wheel to the right all the way over, checking the actual tires. You know, not only just for tread depth, but also to see if there's any hazardous issues. And if you have a service drive and you're in front of the customer at the vehicle, you know, why not, when the hood is up, let's do a quick 
check on the battery in front of the customer and top off the washer fluid because we're coming into a time of year now, you know, when there are weather extremes, all right? Yeah. So washer fluid is always, so these are little things that we would normally do when the car gets into the technician portion of the yes. sale, but do some of these things in front of the customer, it's a nice step and it gets the customer's attention. Also digital marketing. Mm -hmm. Look at the focus that dealers now have, you know, due to a lot of the things that you are doing, okay, mm -hmm. with their focus on digital efforts and how much of that is being spent on the service and parts department. Yeah. And you know what? It needs to be. Because if you go to the dealer's website to make an appointment, and if you go to your dealership to do that as well, you're going to see there's probably some disconnects between that and the time you get into the store. Yes. And in terms of even following up with you um, to confirm your appointment, all right? Um, if you go to a doctor and you have an appointment uh, tomorrow, the next day, they're typically going to contact you when? The day before. Yes. And if they don't contact you, Jason, for your service appointment, what is the message they're sending to you? It's probably not very important to us anyway, right? I think that's a good point. I think um, that first step of setting the appointment, there's still a lot of disconnect there, right? I have two options. I always, this drives me nuts because neither one of these options work for me as far as communications go. All right, I can call or I can take the time to fill out a form online. Mm which then they just end up calling me anyways, which I always think is kind of ironic. And they might get like, the run around yeah, and get, and get exactly. lost in the system too. Exactly, right? And it's like, but the way I communicate all day long is either by text message, LinkedIn message, Facebook message, Instagram message, and then email, and then lastly, probably phone calls, right? Like, I mean, I will sometimes, somebody will call me, I'll text them to tell me to, te to tell them to text me because there's a high probability I'm not gonna call them back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like we're forcing customers right now to start our uh, to start that service process, that service experience, but we're forcing them uh, to choose only two formats of communication. Yet we understand that there are a lot of people out there that's not I, I have dealer principles that literally all my communications with them is through Facebook Messenger. Sure. Sure. You know, and they're they're easily within that 60 age kind of range. I mean, they're not what you would typically think, but they know that if they need to get a hold of me and they need something answered That's quick, gonna get your attention. They're going to jump mm -hmm. on Messenger, Messenger to me and I'm gonna respond within the same, same, with the the same period. I would do the same Why thing. Why can't we not just do the same thing with service? Can we not just ask the customer, you know, what format of communication you'd prefer? Absolutely. And BDC's not equipped to be able to go online. I mean, look, I was thinking it's kind of funny because like the form wouldn't take much more, right? But we're asking for the buddy phone number. Mm -hmm. You know, why couldn't we just instead ask for the Instagram handle? Let's go. Let's back it up even a little bit further. How about when we deliver the car on delivery? Mm. Make sure we're doing a good. What do we call it? The sales to service handoff. Yes. And as part of that sales to service handoff, <laughs> be doing a good one. <laughs> right. Well, think about that for a second. That's how important to the sales process. Um, it equally sets up what's going to happen in service as well. Yeah. So if. As part of that, not only am I introducing my service advisor and who that is, but also the best method of communication and showing you where to pull in. How about that? Wouldn't that be important? Because a yeah. lot of customers, do I park? Do I then walk in? They don't know. Is the door going to open if I get closer? Like, none of that information. Stuff that, that we know because we work there every single day, but the customer comes in only a couple times a year. Yeah. But it's one of the most important purchases of their lifetime. So it's up to the sales department to help set the stage for service and then for service, of course, to do it right, yes. and the communication is a huge part of it. And by the way, the communication continues to evolve. Because yeah. I imagine a year or two from now, there'll be other methods of communication that we may not even have fathomed yet, mm -hmm. you know, that have to be employed. But yeah, I think that's, that's the point, right? It's, it's what communications they feel most comfortable with is kind of where, where we should spend our time. I have a quick question for you, and I always kind of thought about this. Um, introduction of service. 
I, I very seldomly ever see it get executed. Like, an idea is great. The idea is great. The idea is phenomenal. But the execution of the idea, like, holy crap. It's like, it, 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 it's like, okay, I just filled out the paperwork, right? Um, okay, I got my nice binder, all right? We're gonna head towards the delivery area, you know? And, and you know what? And oh, oh, by the way, by, sorry, sorry, before we go any further, by, by the way, there's, there's our service department. See, that's Ernie right there. We have an Ernie, hi, Ernie. And, and that is sometimes usually the extent that I see if the service, much. if sometimes that much at all. Um, what are your thoughts are on a, the service and sales department delivering the vehicle together. I love it. Yeah? You see a lot of these franchises now when they require new facilities, they have a delivery area. Yeah. And you're noticing more and more of those. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of times dealers don't utilize that yet for the delivery, yet they should. Mm -hmm. That delivery area can be used for the product specialist or the product genius, the salesperson, mm -hmm. the service advisor, the service manager should probably make an introduction the same way a sales manager would make an introduction. Yeah. And they need to do that early. So for the, for example, for the sales manager, we all know what in early intervention means. Mm -hmm. For F&I, we know what early intervention means there as well. For service, early intervention means on that new vehicle delivery because that's when the customer is at their peak and we have their attention and being able to go over um, you know for the product specialist you know the technology on the vehicle how it works and be able to do that and so that's that would be my my thought there so absolutely for sure for sure what about um, introducing the service department even during the sales process as being a part oh, yeah. of the dealership story is that I mean do you of course I, I think these are great ideas but I mean You've had the opportunity to be in a lot of dealerships, all right? Uh, give me an example of one that was just really crushing it, and what did it look like to do so? I have a dealership in the Northeast okay. that um, has been a business uh, since the 1950s. So they have in their dealership a, and they keep it up to date, amazingly, a wall of fame that shows, you oh, know, cool. what, you know, how the dealership started, who the founder was, and so on and so forth. Every salesperson is required to take the customer, you know, passed through that so you can kind of relate this yeah. uh, I would imagine being a, a Blue Jays fan yeah. uh, over in Yankee Stadium back in New York where I live we have a monument park yeah. so this is kind of like going through the monument park and then after that uh, <laughs> out in center field right uh, then after that is the service tour and the service tour is showing that we have the indoor service drive that our advisors are equipped with the uh, iPads with the latest technology mm -hmm. to look at the car with you and walk around the vehicle and assess your needs with you and they can actually see customers getting that experience I have dealerships that who actually take, who have uh, cameras mounted in their service drive. Okay. And during rush hour in the morning, and, and they've got the proper signage to alert customers to this, that you could go on their website and you can see customers getting that walk around treatment. So they use that not just to sell to the service customer, but to sell to new customers who want to buy new and used cars that, look, when you buy from us, you can expect this every time you come in. Wow, wow, that's pretty cool. So. It's, it, and I think that's actually really key. It, it's not enough that we just tell people, we have to show them. So it, it's enough that we tell them that we have a huge commitment to customer service. We can't, we can't just tell them that, you know, uh, we want to get you in quickly, but professionally. We can't, just, we can't say that, we actually have to show it. That's cool, a dealership's going as far as literally setting up kind of like a, like a webcam type thing where someone can actually walk in and see what's going on in that, it's in that the apartment. Same as, Jason, it's the same as sales. Auditory, yeah. visual, kinesthetic, you don't know which buyer is which. So you've got to go all out on all of those to determine, you know, oh, wait a second. You know, I might be able to say it, but if I could show it and then I can get the customer involved, it's even better. Yeah. So now how does, how does parts get fit in? Because I think that's, you know, we, we kind of give service, you know, whereas service is a little bit of a stepchild. Well, parts seems to be like the, 
the, the real kind of stepchild of it, or the parts to parts kind of seems to be that way. How, best practices to kind of introduce the parts department within to that sales process. What does that look like for you? How many times when you work at the dealership did the customer come up to you and say, Jason, where's the parts department? You probably hear it all the time. Yep. Even in service, <laughs> hey, where's the parts department? Okay, so that's gonna be part of my, if you will, fixed ops tour of the dealership is introducing the parts department and where that is. Uh, parts departments are becoming more enlightened today because in the past there was that little, you know, little space in the dealership that those guys kind of work all to themselves and do their own thing. You know, now whenever I go in and I train in a dealership, I insist to the dealer that I have the parts counter people as part of the sales training because they are salespeople as well. Yes. A lot of dealerships are getting into wholesale sales and figuring out that even though the margin may be a little bit smaller, that can be a very big profit center to help the dealership you know, with, their, um, you know, with their fixed operations and with their absorption rate as well. Yeah. So I make sure I'm training the counter people. In, same thing as sales, proper words and phrases, words to avoid, words to use. Mm -hmm. you know, as an example, we don't want to say contract, we say agreement. Uh, you know, just positive terminology that to you and I, we use all the time, yep. but you know, like you said, those people probably don't get trained. Those employees are hired to do parts and service, and then we don't train them. Yeah. And that's the end of it. Yeah. So, you know, the world can't pass them by. We've got to put a focus on both service and on parts as well. I think the words that we use are also really important. I was at the dealership the other day, and I actually heard a service advisor uh, excuse themselves and say, I have to go get a worksheet. I'll be right back because they were going to do their walk around, right? And I'm going, oh man, a worksheet. I can worksheet. almost see in the body language of the customer go, oh fuck, I can have to do a what? Like, it's just like, like to your point, right? I mean, and being just... able to, you know what, and being able to read the body language too is important, <laughs> yeah. you know, for everybody in the dealership. Because let's face it, you work in a dealership, can you see trouble when it's coming? You yeah. can see it a mile away, 100%. all right? So to be able to read that body language and tone of voice, um, the words only account for a small part of communication. They are important, yes. but the way you say those words um, and the way you, you know, inflect them is, is the key as well. So for put, sure. So put a focus on that. So um, can I ask you earlier, like I said, you've been in a lot of dealerships. Uh, give me an example of a parts department that was just crushing it. And what did that look like? Uh, can I mention the name? The yeah, dealership? absolutely, please. Uh, Fred Beans in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Okay. Fred's Bean, Fred Beans, uh, by the way, and there was a gentleman named Fred Beans. He's in his 80s today. The New York Times just did an article on him. Yeah. On, on his workout regimen. Uh, Fred Beans has... Everyone's going to go check him out I'm right gonna, now. You know, uh, and, and many know him, okay. Uh, he's probably got about 20 to 30 dealerships in the Bucks County, just outside of Philadelphia area. Okay. And Fred Beans has a parts operation that is second to none. Yeah. He has built a, built a parts depot and he sells everything because he's got all the franchises just about as well. Okay. And he's got trucks on the road. He may be in Pennsylvania. He's got trucks going as far as Maine every day. Holy and he, Jason, he treats the parts department. Uh, he treats the parts uh, delivery of those wholesale parts, yeah. which is a huge part of his business. And he's built everything around it. He treats it sort of as a trucking company, okay? okay? Because he takes that mentality. And Fred Beans has applied all the sales principles he knows. He started out as a gas station. Okay, he convinced Ford, he got a, a loan from his mother and he got the franchise from Ford. He turned his gas station that he bought into a Ford dealership in Doylestown. <laughs> and today he is probably one of, if not the largest privately held dealership group in the United States. Wow. And he's done it based on parts. On parts. Parts. Because he treated the parts department as an actual revenue generating department, not just a, 
and then just a secondary department to help support new used in service, an actual revenue leading generating department on its own. And he's so this is a mentality thing. You've got to change the way we think to do so, right? He's, he's a legend, Jason. And think about it from the OEM point of view. The OEM sells what? They sell cars, vehicles, and they sell parts. Yep. Okay. So the OEM, he was able to acquire all these other dealership groups over the years. It didn't happen overnight. It happened yeah. over many years. Uh, and other franchises because he has so strong a focus on the entire fixed operations part of his business. Yeah. So, yeah. Good stuff. Now, how? what would be your advice, right, to a dealership that maybe watching or listening to this going, you know what, I'm digging what these guys are saying. I mean, I like the idea, and maybe I do need to treat my parts department more as an actual revenue generating department, not just as a secondary department. You know, what would be the first few steps that you would recommend to someone to take those, to move towards that direction? Uh, after they call me or before they call yeah. me? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> after they call me, I won't go there. <laughs> uh, I, I would say um, most dealerships are in a 20 group. Okay. Yes. And a lot of times, 20 groups, you know, we don't just talk about the sales, we talk about the fixed ops side of the business as well. I would look at your peers, maybe not just within your franchise, but dealerships who sell typical, uh, similar volume to what you do, and yeah. take a look what their parts numbers are, and take a look at uh, what their sales are. Uh, there's key benchmarks that every dealership will share in a 20 group, mm -hmm. and see where you rank among them, because unless you're ranked, Jason, you don't know if you're doing a good job or poor job. You could think you're doing a great job, but you know what? Now you're ranked against your peers. You say, oh, wait a second. I'm really not, not in the top half. I'm even down here. Mm. Nobody wants to be average. Average is the bottom of the best and the top of the, the sorriest, right? <laughs> That's so, true. Um, I would see where you rank uh, among your peers. Take a look at uh, the indicators. Take a look at your personnel. Take a look at personnel that are also within the business. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to find best practices. True. Facebook is a great place yeah. because you could pick up things that dealerships are doing um, without spending a nickel, all right, just to kind of get the thought in your head and to get your, maybe your managers focused on that. I would say one more thing is very important. Um, in sales, how, how often do we have a sales meeting uh, with our sales staff? Um, on, on the vehicle side, once a week. Yeah, right. Uh, on, at, at least, right, uh, yeah. Parts and service? I. Yeah. Maybe never. Yeah. Okay. So I would start with the uh, same technique that we use for having a Saturday morning or a Friday or whatever day of the week you have your meeting in sales. I would have a service meeting. I would have a parts meeting. I might even have one and have everybody come to both. Sure. And doing that, I would talk about where we are for the week, uh, how many appointments we have coming in today, tomorrow, this week. We know You and I know some dealers who focus very strongly on that daily appointment number. Yes. And now they're starting to focus, if you notice, more and more on their service appointments as well. I would take a look at the benchmarks. I would take a look at the acknowledging employees who are doing a very good job, uh, employee of the month, salesperson of the month. Do we have a parts? Salesperson of the month, Jason? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. I can't think of any dealership I've worked with that has, no. Acknowledge <laughs> those people. Um, I was just in the dealership that recently, before we started our training, I typically go in for four days for service and parts. Yeah. The first night, the dealer took everybody out to dinner who touches the customer and service, not just the uh, service cool. advisors and parts counter people. They took the receptionist, the parts counter, the phone operator, and they acknowledged everybody because they said, we're gonna put this new focus on fixed in our business. And he goes, I want you to know how important it is to me. And mm -hmm. so they had, never, they had never been out to a dinner like that before. Wow. So think about that. So really trying to keep uh, creating a team environment mm -hmm. is a huge part of it. 
um, setting up the goals and objectives, like really what is the goal and objective? You know, I think a lot of people get into these and um, they get into it because they're good ideas, right? Like our industry is full of a lot, a of, lot good of good ideas, ideas. right? <laughs> but, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't have issues with good ideas. I only have issues with good ideas when they're not deeply rooted into an actual goal and objective because then they just fizzle out. It's like we'll start getting into them, we'll invest time, we'll invest money into them, but because we never were able to actually measure a return on that time or that, or that financial investment, then it just falls apart. Well, let's start with that. Do we even have goals? Do, yeah. we, have our go do we have our goals written down? Yeah. Okay, um, the part of the training that I do is I have everybody in every dealership that I train, everybody carries around a pocket card. And on the pocket card are the top three business goals that they have for the year. And on the back of the card are their three personal goals for the year. That's cool. So the personal goals could be, you know, make a certain amount of money or, or, or they could be anything in life. Sure, okay? sure. Um, Go golfing more. Exactly. <laughs> but your service and parts department need to have goals the same way the service department, uh, the sales department does. Um, you know, it could be anything from extended service agreements to, uh, um, you know, not non-one-line item ROs. You know, in other words, a repair order that has, you know, multiple things, not just the lube, oil, and filter. Yep. Um, everybody needs goals in life, from the dealer on down. So I would say establish goals, have your people write them down, because a goal without a deadline is just a, you know, a wish, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And you know, when am I going to accomplish the goal? There's seven steps to accomplishing goals. And once people realize that part of that is writing it down and having everybody on the team have their goals, and the big corporate goal, and the goal by department, and by the way, like you said earlier, the departments work together. You know, that's that could be a goal in itself, too. Well, and, and it can, and I think it should be. I mean, really, really should be. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm looking at, you know, what we're having, what we're, I don't know exactly what is the, uh, the, the U.S. kind of climate as far as automotive goes, but what's going on in Canada is that we plateaued out. And, you know, everyone's kind of freaking out a little about this. Now I'm giggling a little bit because it happens every six or seven years. Like, I remember literally six or seven years ago having, having the exact same conversations that I've been having recently, right? And literally the exact same conversations. Like, look, the manufacturers can't continue to maintain double-digit gains quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. We're going to hit a roof. We've hit the roof, and now we're going to be in a plateau for the next two years. So dealerships are really going to have to really kind of take the time, right, sit down and be very, very cautious about uh, where they're putting not only their money, but their time um, into because you know, I think the last four or five years, we've been able to get away with a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. Get away kind of half-assing mm -hmm. certain processes or half-assing, and I think the big one for me, is half-assing our training mm. and coaching efforts. But I, I, we can't do that anymore. So, you know, for, for dealerships that are, uh, are listening to this or watching this and you're mad at me, that's cool. You can skip to another episode. Um, but the ones that are sitting there and, and agreeing, you know, what would you say to those dealerships out there that are going, you know what, Jay, I'm, I'm down with this, I agree with you. I've been kind of half pregnant, just tipping my toe into the training and coaching part of my entire team, not just sales, but the entire team, right? What are the first steps for these dealerships to kind of get into that pool? I realize that, um, and we need to realize that a lot of people are good managers, and there are certain mm -hmm. functions you do as a manager, but the manager needs to have a second hat they wear, and that is the hat of a coach. Right. Mm. And there are certain things that a manager will do, the, the paperwork, the numbers, and so on. But the coach needs to be present at the game. And the coach mm. needs to prepare the team before game day doing what? Practice. Um, batting practice. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, any sport that you look at, athletes practice before every activity. Usually not just that day, but many days, many months leading up to that day. So the coach makes sure that we have a 
uh, a playbook. Yep. Now, if you look at most high school playbooks, um, those athletes don't have just one or two plays. Those can have 20, 25, 30 plays. Yeah. And it's amazing yeah, that a high school them. athlete can actually memorize them. In sales, we don't need to have that many, but we need to have a playbook of what things that we're going to call. Mm -hmm. The coach has to be at the game, has to be on the sidelines, encouraging people. The coach can't be in the locker room, in other words, tucked away. Yes. A lot of times managers are um, in their office, you know, especially on the service and part side. Yeah. They're not out at the game. And really, in, uh, for example, in football, I use this analogy. You gotta be courtside. You gotta be, you gotta a, be there. You gotta be a first half manager. A lot of mm -hmm. times, we end up in the second half trying to coach the team to victory, but we were missing in the first half of the game. Yeah. The first half of the game means being present, being uh, you know, uh, there with the clipboard, doing a coach's clipboard, making sure my, my athletes are uh, doing the proper thing with the customer, coaching them on things they could do better, mm -hmm. uh, encouraging them along the way, and uh, just setting the stage for success. That's what a good coach does. Yeah, and I think tracking that those efforts are insanely, insanely required. It's a, it's a must, right? I mean, the one thing I love about sports is that um, sports doesn't care who you are as an individual. They don't care if you're a nice person or a dick. They don't care if you're old or you're young or, mm -hmm. or, or if you're a different ethnic background. Like, the sports don't care. You know, because the numbers are the numbers, right? Every single opportunity uh, to hit the puck, every opportunity you have to to uh, hit the ball, you know, every single thing is measured. And your success or how good you are in that specific sport arena is completely based on that. It has no, nothing to do with how someone thinks or how they feel, you know, that person's performing it has all to do with just literally whatever those numbers say it is at the end of the day. I agree. I couldn't agree more. So I think we have to do the exact same thing both in our parts and our service department, right? Absolutely. So what what would you say in the service department? Because it's easy in sales, right? It's like we know what the 12 points are. Your mean great, your test drive, your walk around. We have all these little elements that we're, we're very accustomed to measuring. You know, what, what are some of those real important stats uh, that we should be looking at our service department to ensure that we're actually playing with the right players? Um, most DMS systems mm -hmm. um, have reports that are available to the dealership. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, the dealership pays all this money for the DMS, but we don't use those reports. Yep. As an example, on the service and parts side, uh, in CDK, <clears throat> in Reynolds and Reynolds, um, it's called a, uh, a service advisor recap report. Okay. And it's exactly that. It's a recap report of your performance. Of each opportunity. Of how you've done, exactly. All the way down the line. And you can do it monthly, you can do it weekly, you could do it daily, yep. you could do it by customer. And we need to focus on that as part of our sales meetings as managers. Yes. To be able to coach the players, the service advisors, if you were the salespeople, whoever you have. Um, you got to coach them on the things that we need to, you know, make sure that are happening. Yes. And I know the numbers are important, and I always like, you know, we can chase the numbers, but if you do the fundamentals correctly each and every time, the fundamentals don't change. Fundamentals, you know, are blocking and tackling, uh, you know, good appropriate eye-to-eye -eye contact, good body language, listening to the customer, taking good notes, um, making sure that um, we're respecting the customer's time. Um, you know, those are things that can then evolve into bigger processes at the dealership. Sure. There's, a, there's a dealership group in Colorado, uh, I'll call them out, the Champ Automotive Group. Uh, mm -hmm. Champ is a major dealer group in the U.S., um, another one that's privately held. And Champ has been a one-price dealer since the early 90s. Uh, then they went to, about seven or eight years ago, one person. 
And now, recently, in the last two or three years, one person for the, so you got the finance, you got F and I, you have sales. What does it one person mean? One person means before the customer even gets in, handling the lead over the phone okay. or online, to the meet and greet when they arrive, to the needs analysis, to selling the car, to the F and I, to the delivery. Okay, stops at delivery. Okay, right. And the third thing they've added now is one hour. One hour. Okay, right. that's cool. So it's <laughs> talk a, about a commitment. One a price, <laughs> one person, one hour. And how they one do price. that? I love that. They got their stuff down. They got their processes down. They know what they know what it's important to do. Yep. And they've also transferred that over now. You know, the one person philosophy into the uh, fixed ops into the service department side as well because it's worked so well on the sales side. And they advertise this. You can look at their advertising and their marketing. That's you know, so it's, cool. It's all the same thing. That's very cool. Um, with 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 profit of vehicles continuing to get lower, because they are, right? I mean, I don't think I have anybody out there saying, oh, my gross profit per transaction is just continuing to climb, you know, year over year over year, right? You know, how can we really look at our accessory department as bringing in that, that, that gap, you know, or really kind of enhancing our gross profit per transaction? What does it look like for a dealership, you know, who, who for, like I said, for the most part, have always kind of viewed parts as the secondary business, yeah. right? How, what does it look like to kind of bring that, that parts business into the sales department? Um, I'll call out another dealer. Okay, again. cool. Yeah. Let's let's go to uh, Galpin in uh, California, in uh, Los Angeles area. Uh, Galpin created their own brand based on accessories. It's called Gas Galpin Auto Sports. Okay, okay, cool. And and years ago, a lot of people don't even realize it. I don't know if you remember a show called Pimp My Ride yeah. on television. Yeah. Guess where that was filmed? at Galpin Autosports, oh, because no that's what keyed off and, and started their accessories uh, service business as well. Because they um, accessorized vehicles, they rebuild vehicles, and so they took uh, the Galpin brand, which has been you know the largest Ford dealer in the US, maybe in the world, I think, for the yeah. last 20 some years. And they've got Honda, they've got many other franchises as well. And they've catapulted that now into another brand, which is the accessories. So if you go into each of their showrooms, uh, they have accessories on display. It's done digitally as well. Mm -hmm. They've got a facility right across from their main showroom, which is Gas Galpin Auto Sports. Uh, Bo Beckman runs that, okay, for the company. He's one of the sons. And they've done a phenomenal job with accessorizing vehicles. So I would say that um, a dealership can take a step back and say, okay, we're not where we want to be doing accessories. Um, you know, what can I do to market it better yeah. and market my vehicles better? You mentioned to me the, um, the Lancers that you sold, yeah. that you, know, you equipped every vehicle. Uh, dealerships should look at doing that if they're not doing it already and make it visible and you know, make it incentivized to the salespeople and the, the parts and the service manager and the sales manager and everybody else. I think it all, like we kind of said earlier, it all kind of starts with the goal and objective, right? Really, what is your goal and objective with your parts department? Then you kind of develop out from there. Now, once we kind of find that goal, that goal and objective, we start developing out, then we start identifying processes. Then we can see your forte, which is really the training and the coaching. I still think, at least for where we are up here, there's still a lot of confusion behind training and coaching. And for a lot of people, I don't think they even understand the difference between the two. In your words, how would you define the difference between training and coaching? Well, training is something that um, you know we all we all participate in, want to participate in. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs to be a daily event. Okay, uh, the coaching is more of the what comes down from the leadership of the team. 
all right? The coach needs to be making sure that there is a, a game plan, if you will, a playbook, as I mentioned earlier, for the team as well. Um, training takes many, many forms. And a lot of dealerships who do training typically take people and they put them in a, you know, salespeople in a conference room and they watch some videos, yeah. you know, and uh, you're trained, okay? And then we, uh, we have a test that has to be taken and a lot of dealerships shortcut or cheat, if you will, I can use that word, right? The test, they have one person take the test for everybody. So that's really not training, yeah. okay? And that's really even worse, coaching, because the coach is setting a very poor example by allowing that to happen. And don't say that dealerships don't know what's happening because they, of course they know what's happening yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, good training uh, involves many, many different forms of learning. Yeah. And to do that, uh, you just can't have people sit at a desk and read out of a book or watch a video. They've got to be up, they've got to be engaged, they've got to have activities, they have to role play. Yes. Um, you know, in a typical dealership, how many scenarios, because you and I have been in the business for a long time, you and I could come up with countless scenarios oh, that a salesperson could come oh, up yeah. with. Difficult greetings, difficult closes, difficult uh, whatever, whatever have you. And the same thing for the F&I department, uh, BDC, all the way through. So your training needs to include these scenarios. You need to have um, uh, short scenarios where salespeople play salesperson or a customer, they work in triads with an observer, they rotate in those as well. You need to have activities that are group trainings, that are spin charting uh, for your training on your Saturday morning meeting. Yep. I would bring a guest speaker in maybe once a month, somebody from the outside. Oh, that's a good idea. Like because that. that's great think idea. of it, you're the manager. Yeah. It's even tougher to be a manager and a trainer if they see you all the time. Yeah. So they need to have that extra person that they don't see all the time to, you know, to be able to relate with as well. So you, mm -hmm. you've got to be thinking on your feet for your training to be able to do all these things. Now the coach is applying that out on the field. The yep. coach is making sure that the stuff we learn gets really done you know, out you know, on the floor and out yeah. a lot as well. Yeah. Would you typically say, is the coach and the trainer one of the same person or are they actually two different individuals? Uh, I, I, they could be the same. Okay. okay. Mostly, mostly they're uh, they're different. Okay. okay. Uh, it depends on the size of your organization. Um, a lot of dealerships have gone to uh, training managers, corporate training managers. Yeah. You know, the larger ones yeah. have done that. You know, but even they need to be trained on how to do that role as well. Makes sense. Okay. Um, and a lot of times dealerships say, well, you know, here's uh, here's John. He's a salesperson who didn't do too good. We don't want to let him go. What are we going to do with him? Hey, let's make him the trainer. Okay. You've seen that happen a million times as well. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the leader in the organization, you know, needs to be the coach. A dealer sets a good example by being out on the showroom floor, by mm -hmm. being in the service drive in the morning a couple days a week, seeing what the team is encountering, helping the team. So it starts from the top down, that coaching and um, you know the emphasis on the need for that. And, and the coaching really has to be, like you said, in the game. They can't, they can't be on the sidelines. They, in the they, office. In the office or something like that. So, um, and that's easy to let that happen. Yeah, oh, it is, it is. So you know, uh, for a dealership out there that are listening to this and go, yeah, you know what, my business needs a coach. Uh, who in my organization can I turn into a coach? What advice would you give them? What should they be looking for to kind of develop and mold an individual into a coach? The manager should be the coach. And okay. the manager typically came up through the ranks, uh, either at your organization or somewhere else, as a good salesperson or, or what have you. Yep. But that person needs to be able to take the ability of selling the 30 cars a month that they sold and translating that out into the, the masses, into the dozen or two dozen salespeople that we have. Yeah. So you've got to be the coach. The coach leads by example. The coach sets the tone for the entire team. The coach 
um, is not afraid to do what he or she tells the team to do. Yes. All right. Coach has to be able to go in on deals, close deals, help with delivery. So the coach needs to model, if you will, a lot of these things. Yeah. And and be, it, now I want to kind of really kind of have bring this home so dealers or especially owners understand what how much time it takes because I know a lot of managers out there that would say Jason I would love to coach but you see this stack right here I'm in my office for the next three days straight so those are the man those are the manager the analytic duties right yeah yeah but, but see what we what we end up running into kind of up here in Canada it takes a because lot of time. our volume our volumes a bit smaller is that mm. you know we definitely are running um, Many, many people are wearing many, many different hats, yep. right? We kind of have to. There's just unfortunately no way we kind of get around it, you know. Just, hey, Jason, that's the car business too. Well, that's true. Everywhere. It is. No it, is. it is. What, what? How much time are we talking about? You know, real allocated time it takes to properly coach a team. Think about it. There's a lot of tasks that have to be done in the dealership. Yeah. We all have 24 hours a day. Yes. So to be able to manage those, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours, I mean, or more that I'm in the dealership. All yeah. Right? I need to prepare myself before I come to the store. Good point. So preparation is the key for the leader, the manager, the coach, if you will, on the team. I need to know, I need to have a, uh, just as a dealership has a marketing plan, yep. here's, what I'm, here's what we're doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The leader, the coach needs to have their coaching plan, if you will. Here are the things that I'm going to do. Coaching can take place um, before the dealership opens. It should take place during the dealership hours as well. Yeah. So you need to take advantage of all those times. And look at the downtime that most dealership employees have. Yes. There is downtime. Yes. They're, you know, they're they're talking and or they're on social. You know, they're doing their own social media. Maybe not. You know, necessarily doing all the stuff they should for their career at the dealership. The coach needs to take advantage of all that energy and that time and uh, give it focus, if you will. And they got to be intentional about it, right? I mean, they can't just wait for those coaching moments they actually need to carve out that time in their oh, yeah. day make it a routine like going to the gym yeah. right yeah. Um, and really create a routine around it and be intentional about the time they invest into their coaching efforts we have a video we have a series called the tip of the day we have another series I don't know if you've seen it called the get fit tip of the day we typically run them on weekends and um, uh, one of the titles is plan your exercise like a meeting all right, yeah, and there you uh, go. because we, we talk about the importance of fitness, you know, to everything that we do in life. Yeah, you know, you got to actually plan your meeting sometimes like an exercise. You got to make sure that you know here's the regimen. Am I on time? Okay, yeah. number one, do I have everything that I need? Are there going to be any distractions? No, along the way, because I've got this much time to get this amount of exercise or work done. You know, so I got to be able to. I got to have a plan. That's yes. what it comes down to, and it goes back to what you said earlier about fitting that into the goals and so on all the way up. Gotta have a plan, gotta schedule it, we gotta execute it. Ted, thank you so much for taking the time to come jam with me today. Uh, I appreciate it. There's so much My pleasure, awesome Jason. knowledge here. Hey, for anybody that's watching or currently listening right now, they'd like to learn more about what you do. What is the best way to connect with you? Um, come to my website. It's okay. cpiresults.com. That's the Center for Performance Improvement, cpiresults.com. Uh, or you'll find me on uh, LinkedIn or on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter. I'm everywhere that, I'm everywhere you yes, are, Jason. Yes, yes, <laughs> I love your tip of the day. Like, I really do. I think any dealerships out there that are not following Ted, you guys need to go out right now. Whatever platform you guys like, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter? I didn't see you on Twitter. Are we on I, Twitter? I have 26 Twitter handles with 50,000 followers okay, on Twitter. Yep, I, I'm so. not on Twitter enough, so that's my fault. Definitely on LinkedIn. Uh, you got to check out Ted's tips of the days. They're phenomenal. They really are. Thanks again, Ted. Yep, great stuff, I really Jason. appreciate it. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you.